Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. How's everybody doing out in the cars? Come on, give it up. And uh, so glad you're here. And uh, online church, we love that you're here. By the way, if you're watching online, we love that you're gathering with us. And let me just say that if uh, for health reasons you need to be home, absolutely be home. It's not good to intermingle, be home. But sometimes you just kind of get into a habit of being at home and there's really no health reasons. And if that's you, I'd encourage you giving an invite to think about drive-in or joining us in the tent if there's no uh, health reasons why you couldn't be here this morning. So anyway, great to see you. Uh, it's going to be a great morning. I have a message I feel God's put on my heart. And uh, a series that we're going to begin called A New You and a New Year. And it's just been kind of going off inside me. And I want to develop that. We're going to be looking at the book of James and unpacking that. One of the things we do as a church, as we read the Bible, we explain the Bible, and then we apply the Bible. We'll be doing that this morning. So I'm going to talk about trials Anybody in the house have any trials out there in the cars, online? Yeah, we have trials uh, nationally. We are facing all kinds of trials, political trials, pandemic trials, economic trials. So we're going to talk about how to handle trials from God's perspective. So let's pray and then we'll jump in to the Word. Father, thank you that we are here. Father, we realize that we are facing challenging days and difficult times as a nation. Father, we declare our dependence upon you. Father, we pray for America, for the uncertainty that is facing America and the tumultuous path that we seem to be on. Father, we pray that you would do what only you could do. We pray for your divine intervention into our nation. Father, we look to you and you alone. May our eyes and the affections of our hearts be steadfast upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we look to you as we open your word. We pray you'd speak to us. May its power revolutionize our lives. And Father, I want to lift up the students. I want to lift up the young adults that they would encounter you by the power of Jesus Christ and this Holy Spirit. So we lift today up to you, our nation, and our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the book of James. And uh, we're going to be talking about James because James is a, a book about real faith. James is not a person to talk about theory and, uh, uh, and what you, uh, just what you think, but he talks about uh, a real faith that is life transformative, that is so infectious that once it gets a hold of your heart, it really transforms everything about your life. And so we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and again, a new you and a new year. And so this is a word inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. James begins by saying, I want to tell you who I am. I want to talk about who I am, and then I'm going to talk to you about trials. And he says, he's, what he's going to do is say, trials will come, but count it all joy because God is good. Trials are going to come. They're inevitable. There's nothing you can do about avoiding them. They're going to come. So he says in James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James was a big deal because he's a pastor there in Jerusalem. But he doesn't say, hey, you know who I am. I'm like the brother of the Messiah. No, he says, that's not where I want to start. He wants to honor Jesus. And he's basically saying, my life has been radically changed by Jesus. And I want to honor him because he's my brother. He's through my mother, but actually he's from God. And so what happened was he was a skeptic, like many people. I was a skeptic. Maybe you were a skeptic. 
what happened was is he encountered the resurrected Jesus and it changed everything for him. And he actually believed then his brother that he grew up playing Legos with was actually God. And so he had this encounter and it changed everything. It actually changed his identity. I don't know about you, but when I encountered Jesus Christ, it became real to me. It changed my identity about who I was. You know, all of us have identity. And the important thing about this is you live out of your identity. Whatever you believe about your, your identity is what you live out. And James says, I'm living out the identity as a servant of God. Not just a Christ follower, not just a church goer, but I'm a servant of God. Literally, doulos, a bond slave in the original language. So he says, that's who I am. Nice to meet you. And I think James would say, well, what about you? Like, how, what is your identity? How do you see yourself? So James would press in on us because that's the type of person he was. He says, hey, are you a servant? Do you see yourself as a, the daughter of God, as a, as a son of God? How do you view yourself, James would ask. Are you, are you truly a follower? Are you like born again? Um, uh, how do you define yourself? And so it's so important here because true transformation happens in every area of your life when this becomes real to you. So it was real to him, though it wasn't always real. So he says, I'm writing to those of you, watch, it's so important for us to lean into, that are scattered and that are dispersed because we can't do church under one roof anymore. Look at that in the end of verse one. He says, to the 12 tribes, speaking of the, the Jews, that are scattered among the nations. In other words, we can no longer meet under one roof. In other words, he's saying here, we are physically no longer being able to connect like we used to, and we are being pushed out of the building, outside of Jerusalem, out into the culture, out into the world, just like we are today. This could be said of us that we are the church scattered out now. So he's saying, hey, it's, we're not all comfy. It's not all like it used to be. We're not being able to be holed up in Jerusalem or holed up in the buildings that we used to be holed up in. No, now people are losing homes, just like today. People are losing jobs, just like today. They're losing their lives, just like today. So they're physically scattered in that context, because of a persecution, and they hadn't watched, they had to do church from a distance, just like us. And so James now pastored a church that can no longer meet together. So everything he's going to say to us is geared up for people that can no longer meet together under one roof anymore. In other words, they, like us, are living in a new reality. I think one of the important things, so important, living in the in pandemic and living in the political times uh, that we're living in, is to be able to accept reality. Sometimes you want to live in a fantasy world of what was, but this is, friends, this is our reality. And so uh, that we're doing church in a tent, we're doing church in cars, and we can't gather like, we, it's just our reality. And so James now is talking about their reality, what they had to live in, what they had to experience, what they had to go through, just like us. So he says in verse 2, he says this. He says, consider it, sounds like crazy talk, pure crazy talk. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
And so the reality was this, is that they were facing trials that they had not faced before. That is our reality. We now are facing trials nationally as individuals in your families that perhaps you've never faced before. And he says, consider it pure joy. Um, and I'm going to unpack that and spend some time unpacking that because he's saying, look, like, how, how do you consider something joy that is anything but joyful? I mean, anything but joyful. So it sounds like pure crazy talk, but what we're going to do is we're going to get God's perspective and re renew our minds and our thinking that we can actually have that perspective. So he says, consider, which literally means to count. It means to, to count or suppose. In other words, here we are in the middle of your trial and you can suppose that it's going to ruin your life. Or you can suppose that you have a good attitude, a great attitude, a godly attitude. And we're going to see what God has in store for us. What does God want to teach me? And then he says, whenever you fall into different types of trials. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into different types of of temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith actually works within you, works patience or perseverance. And then he says, but let patience or perseverance have its perfect work, that you might be complete, that you might be entire, not lacking anything. And then he says, and on top of that, when you lack wisdom, he says, uh, ask of God and God will give it to you generously and God will not withhold the wisdom that he wants to give you. So he says here, consider. That means to suppose that, he says, whenever. It's inevitable. Like we don't have any choice when trials fall upon you. When you face seasons of a dark soul. When you face storms in darkness, we don't have a choice about it. He's saying that there is nothing that we can do. It's an inescapable then reality. When you're doing life and you just got the diagnosis. I remember I went to the, went to the doctor about a year ago and he says, and he told me a diagnosis and I thought, I don't know, what's that? It's like out of nowhere, like you got this diagnosis and things just appear out of nowhere. And so that's sometimes how trials can be. It can be unexpected, like a pandemic. It just, just seemed like it came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden we're talking about COVID and wearing masks and social distancing and everything has changed here. Trials literally, he says, of many kinds. It means in the original language, multicolored. It means every shade of color imaginable of a trial you are going to face. And so it means black and white, red and yellow, every color you can think of. And so and you wonder like what is happening. First Peter chapter four, verse 12, Peter said, don't consider it uh, a surprise at the fiery trials which shall come upon you as though it's some strange thing. Because that's what I think what we think to do. It's like, wow, what is happening? This is strange. He says, no, don't consider it. Don't be so surprised. Uh, Jesus told you it was going to happen. He said, in the world, you can have tribulations, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And so trials then are, whenever they come, they are 
We have a plurality of problems and multicolored disappointments. And I get it this morning, perhaps you came here, maybe you came here happy, maybe you came here limping in. Maybe you're in the midst of this where you are tired and you are exhausted and you are weary and life seems awful. Or for others, maybe uh, you are doing well. But the reality is this, is that he says there is like a Rolodex of disappointments, many kinds of difficult marriage, uh, kids going off, kids drama, uh, cancer, family strife. Let me tell you uh, in my own life, okay, I'm going to tell you just this is just me and my family. The past few years, what we've experienced here, what this multicolored looks like in the Collins family and extended family. So we've been through dementia. That is an interesting journey. Uh, There has been depression to the point of suicide in the extended Collins family. There has been family drama on steroids. There has been death. And there's been talk of suicide. There's been blindness. There's been cancer, brain cancer. There's been addiction. And there has been abuse. There's been fighting. There's been violence. And they're the resulting in hospitalization just this week in my extended family. Trials of many kinds. Friends, it's an inescapable reality here. How about virtual online school? You talk to people, how is school going? Eh, crummy. You know, you talk to parents like, I didn't think I'd be doing math. And uh, we're having to figure out math with the kids. And perhaps we can do, figure out it with Google together. So anyway, you talk to teachers. And so this trials of many kinds. But here's what James says. Here's what James says. Though you have a smorgasbord of pain and difficulty and suffering. He says, because you know, count it all joy because watch. Not because of how you feel. Because we, re- we get dominated by our feelings. And we live in this world that we create and we think is reality in our feelings, but that's not what the Bible wants to drive you to. It drives you not to back how you feel, though they're valid, but he says the important thing is what you know. So you know something that is so important in the midst of trials because you know something. This is key promise. You know that the testing of your faith, God is at work within you. That's why you can have a different perspective, and that's why you you can actually count it joy. So you need to know the truth about what God says here. So when your world is rocked by trials, friends, friends, just listen to me. You have to get back to what you know when you're rocked by trials. See, it's easy to to be overwhelmed. It's easy to be dominated by how you feel, but he doesn't say because of what you feel. This is because of what you know. It's what you, see, what you know is what you got to build into your life. And it's essential, friends, that we begin to lean into, even today, even this morning, what you know to be true. Because you can't trust how you feel. And so, see, trials then, what he's saying here, the testing. It literally means the refining of your faith. It speaks of metals. Speaks of the testing of gold and the testing of silver, where the impurities are actually burned out by the heat that is placed upon them. Sometimes that's how trials are. You feel the heat of the moment and the heat of the trial, yet God is doing a work. Maybe sometimes he's wanting to deal with some 
impurities in your life and burning those things out. So we see the trials then are actually the pathway to maturity. And apart from trials, watch, this is so important. This is so important. I don't want anybody to miss this. Apart from trials, like if we bail and uh, we punch out, then watch what happens. He says here, you won't be mature. Watch, you will stagnate. You will neutralize. You will not grow to maturity as a, as a man, as a woman. You won't grow to completeness. You will miss out on your potential. You won't realize that if we don't let the work go on. And so it's so important that we get this, what he's saying here. Because uh, apart from trials, we will be immature. We will be underdeveloped. We will be incomplete and you will not reach your potential. That's what's at stake by how well we handle our trials. And so all of us have trials. I remember one time I was, in, I was on a, a serve experience team going to Africa, going to Uganda. And the team that I was a part of, we were going to see about 2,000 uh, patients, about 2,000 of them. Uh, what happened was when we were in Ethiopia, everything, all of our supplies, all of our goods, everything was stolen or confiscated there in Ethiopia. So we've been planned for a year, planned for a year to do this. And we arrived on the soil of Uganda, 2,000 people waiting to see us, people walking 20 miles, and we had nothing. I mean, no instruments, no supplies, nothing. And so, and I was, I was so depressed. I was, I was, I had so much anticipation and I was so looking forward to it. And I landed and they're like, there is nothing that we can do. And my friend said, oh, Rod, God just wants us to be instruments in his hands. And then he's going to provide everything. And I thought, that's easy for you to say, because you don't need the instruments. And I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. And so uh, I was just so depressed. I was so discouraged. I was so despondent. And, uh, uh, nothing to do. I mean, I was so dependent on all these supplies and, and surgical instruments, and there was nothing. And so then God provided by uh, miraculously, it's just an absolute miracle, everything we needed, the biggest clinic in all of Uganda. They said, it's all yours, everything you want, all the supplies, all the instruments. I was miraculous. But see, the testing, my faith was so tested. Other people helped carry me not to give up, not to bail. And then God is building something within all of us, in this case with me, making me a little bit more complete in my faith, a little bit more mature in my faith, trusting him. And so, but God will use those trials in your life so that you don't bail, you don't give up. Uh, but if you think about it, just let's take this out of the context of spiritual Let's just talk about your life experience and tell me that this isn't true. Just your life experience. When do you grow? Do you grow when it's easy street? Do you grow when you're in cruise control, when there's no pushing back, when there's no failing and falling and stumbling and struggling? Is that really when you grow? Or do you grow when you fail and you fall and you thought you knew the right thing to do and you were wrong and you, and you begin to realize that? You see, that is the reality. That's really where you, you grow and you learn by failing and falling and getting up. And that's what the scripture is saying here. And so you learn by, by what you thought and then you realize you were wrong about that. I love what Michelangelo, the, the great sculptor, says about David when he said, 
uh, he was looking at, at, at uh, large stones there and marbles. And he said this, uh, he came across one large marble and he said, I see David in there and I'm going to let him out. What did he have to do? What did Michelangelo have to do to let him out? What did he have to do? He had to pull out the hammer and the chisel, right? And he began to chip away. And I wonder sometimes if that's not what our lives are like, where God also, he sees within you, he sees the best version of you, but then he has to pull out the mallet and the chisel, and God has to chisel away at you to bring out the best version of you. And so, but what do we do? I think sometimes the reality is this is it. How often our very top prayer is this. Oh, Lord, you know, don't pull out the chisel. Oh, God, what is it? What is it, Lord? With the hammer, like that hurts. So, and so we view trials as our enemy. And James is saying, hey, we need to rethink this. I always say, God, it's uncomfortable what I'm going through. So this, I think, is the reality of the Christian life when God is working on you. Trials. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate it this way. So here's God, friend. Here's God, and he's, he's chiseling away. He's wanting to chisel away at you. So that's the purpose of trial. Think of like God is like the divine sculptor like Michelangelo. And there's Michelangelo looking at the hunk of marble and saying, but I see David in there, yet I've got to release him. And that's like I think the way that God looks at us. He's like, look, I see the best version of you in there, but I've got to chip away. I've got to chip away so that I can release you. So it's not going to be easy, but that's how you mature. That's how we grow. And so uh, I'm going to quote to you from Spurgeon in just a moment. What Spurgeon, uh, how he looked at this. And so we view trials differently and we recognize that we can actually count it all joy because the best version of you is found on the other side of well-handled trials. So friends, please never forget this. Never forget this. Okay, at, at the end of the, at the hammer, at the end of the chisel, watch, where God is chiseling away and God is hammering away at you. At the end of that is attached a hand. And the hand is the hand of a loving God who has nothing but the best intentions for you, though it may not seem that way at the time. So he says, knowing that the testing of your faith, watch what it does. It does something within you. It produces perseverance or endurance, which literally means this. It means perseverance means, watch, means the capacity or the ability to bear up under, to bear up under the chaos, to bear up under the drama, to bear up under the transition, to bear up under whatever you're going, that's what it means. That God is building within you perseverance, the ability to bear up under. And so uh, you think about it, it's true in the physical realm, perhaps a uh, Last year, you want to get in shape, and you're going to do CrossFit, or you're going to start running, and, and you, you want to be able to run a, a 10K or whatever, and you can, like, barely run a mile. You know, you're like you're winded after 100 yards, and there's no cardio there at all. And you're thinking, man, it was a lot easier to drive a mile than to, to run a mile. But, uh, anyway, but, the, but you stick at it, and you bear up under the training regimen. You bear up under that, and finally you make it to a mile. And then, then, then so you can do two miles. 
and then three miles and four miles and five miles because you bear up under. See, friends, the only way you learn to persevere is by persevering, by bearing up under. The only way you learn to endure is by enduring. And so that's what he's talking about here. And he's saying the testing of your walk with God, the testing of your faith in God has an extraordinary payoff. Extraordinary. This is why you can count it all joy. And the payoff is endurance or perseverance that you will never get any other way than by dealing with the trial to carry a heavy load for a long time. So the bottom line is this, is that it is worth it to, to hang in there. See, the process has a promise. The pain of the trial has a purpose. And the payoff is perseverance. So this is the payoff. And so to remain under whatever comes your way. And then he says in verse 4, let... So you got to submit to it. You can't fight it, but let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that James is connecting what you're going through to the benefit of going through it. So that you're going to be mature, not immature, not incomplete, not underdeveloped, not under potential, but mature and complete. And that you're a person like so complete, you don't lack anything. Charles Spurgeon said this. He was a, he was a famous, uh, famous preacher. I don't really like to quote famous preachers very much, but this is such a great quote that I am quoting it. He said this, I have learned to kiss the wave. Watch. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave of trials that throws me against the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. And this is the process that God is doing in you. God will use the pain of the process to make you the person that he wants you to be. That wonderful? That awesome? That's why you can consider it all joy. Where then we begin to say, okay, God, all right, that, that hammer deal, that chisel deal, uh, uh, okay, I'm okay with that. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But really, I realize that the best version of me is on the other side of that. And so I'm not going to settle for a middle school, junior high, uh, maturity level as a Christ follower and stagnate indefinitely because I'm resisting your work in my life. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to have a different attitude toward trials. And so you reach actually literally means in the original language, you reach your greatest potential when you say yes to God. So takeaway number one is this, is God will use hardship of trials to grow us. I think that we need to renew, need to renew our view of hardship, of trials. And what we need to do is we need to get God's perspective on our trials. And so to expand our perspective, to include God's perspective. And so that way we don't fall prey, I think, to one of the most common traps in all of Christ's following, which is this. Which is saying when things, uh, things, uh, bad things happen to us, we say, well, why? Why is this happening to me? You know, why me? And why now? And why this? 
rather than fall into the biggest trap, one of the biggest traps in Christ following, we recognize rather than defaulting to, well, it's all going to be bad because we live in a broken world. No, we skip over that. We skip over that. And we realize again what Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In the world, you're going to face tribulations. And we, we skip over to the understanding that what we know, I knew this was coming. I didn't know when, I didn't know what, but I knew that this was coming and I am prepared for it. And friends, if we're going to make it through the trials and experience the good that God wants for us, it begins by this, by knowing that God's going to use this. So let it finish its work. Let's trust God in the process that God is good and whatever God has for me is good. Right on? God is good and whatever he has for me, right on. Give me some honks out there. And so, uh, see, we want, here's the reality. We want the whole part about being mature. Does any, who wants to be mature? Like, who wants to be complete? Who wants to fill their p- potential? Who wants to be the best version of you? We all want that. But the thing we don't want is the process to get there. I don't know about the process, but see, there's only one process. And so, but if you're willing to do that, it says like, you're not even going to lack anything. That's the kind of person that you're going to be. So we all want the result, but the result begins with the process of testing your faith. You don't want to be at the end of your rope and be like one quarter the way mature, one quarter the way or halfway uh, complete, because you can stagnate. You can cause the process to be put on pause based on how you react to it. So you don't want to settle in a space there of just being elongated, doing nothing, not growing because of your attitude. And so God's going to put you in situations that you cannot handle to grow you. I remember one time crying out to God and saying, God, this is more on my face weeping, just convulsing and saying, God, this is more than I can handle. You said you would not push me beyond what I can handle. This is more than I can handle. And it was, but it wasn't, but God didn't put me in a situation that he couldn't handle and that you can't handle. Maybe more that you can't, you can't deal with it. He's never going to put you in a trial or a, a crucible, a, a situation, a tumultuous hardship or furnace that he can't handle. And so I want to be glad about the hardship because the hardship is a time where I lean upon him. I lean upon Christ. And so remember, friends, count it all joy. Count it all joy. I know I don't have the mic on, but count it all joy when he pulls out the chisel. Count it all joy, friends, when he pulls out the mallet, knowing what's on the other side of the mallet and what's on the other side of the chisel. And so, because God looks at us and he says, hmm, I see there in Ron, I see there's a little, a little self-centeredness. I need to, need to deal with the self-centeredness, a little unforgiveness, hmm. Our relationships really need some help. How we deal. He's not really very loving there. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to chisel on that old little anger there, a little resentment. I'm going to chisel away. I see that critical spirit about him. I'm going to chisel away there. There's some greed there. I've got to 
deal with them. Again, just remember the best side of you is on the other side of that. And those hands are the hands of a loving God. And so I want to close with this. If any of you lacks wisdom and the implication is, well, duh, like you do, you're in the middle of a trial. You don't know what to do. You know what to think. You know where to go. And if you just lean into doing the best you know how to do, you're going to just make it worse. So he says, look, if any of you lacks wisdom, here it is. You should ask. You should pray. Like, this is like your lifestyle. You keep, you keep asking. He's the one to whom we pray. He's the one to whom we ask. He's the one to whom we go. And the reality is this, is that trials scream at me. They scream at me that I need to go to God. They scream at me that I need God's wisdom. So because there are those times, and you know what I'm talking about, where you, things are going extremely well, and you begin to think like, you know, I'm kind of nailing it here. I'm crushing it. I'm doing awesome. And uh, man, God is using me or whatever. And then all hell breaks loose and trials hitting. You don't get it. And all of a sudden you are crying out to God for wisdom, which then it is a gift from God. If anyone lacks wisdom, God wants to give you a gift. So you can't earn it. You can't even, there's no way to get it. There's no wisdom 101A. Give, wisdom is from God. It's not knowledge. It's wisdom. So you begin to pray, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you work in me and through me every day? Would you show me what to do? I can't tell you how many times with three boys I would pray, God, give me wisdom. Right when I'm ready to break up a fight, walking to the fight itself, God, give me wisdom of what to say. I remember one time I walked in and, and, I, and, I, and I thought, I'm never going to be able to figure out this fight. I said, God, give me what wisdom what to say. And I just asked him and I said, hey, what did your brother, what did God see you do to your brother? And he was like dead in his tracks. Didn't know what to do because what did God see me do? And he told me what he did and he confessed and I got him to confess. It was, it was awesome. Anyway, but you just, you pray as a lifestyle. It's reflexive. It's just, it's just you live that way. Little things, big things, always asking God for wisdom. So friends, we must see that the need for wisdom, what it does, it drives us to God. It drives us to Him. It keeps us dependent upon Him, that we're always acknowledging that we need His wisdom. So what we're going to do here is we're going to close our time together. And uh, uh, we've talked about, James, how to rethink our trials nationally, personally, in our own families, your own life. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to, I recognize, I recognize that we are taking an incredible number of hits to our hearts in a short amount of time. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that everyone here, everyone watching online, everyone in their cars, you've blessed them with every spiritual blessing. And Father, when you pull out the hammer and you pull out the chisel, may we recognize that it's you that is at work within us. Thank you that sin and death are defeated at the cross. Thank you that you conquered those things. And Father, I pray that we recognize that you are a very present help in times of trouble. May we receive from you grace and mercy. 
knowing the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, knowing that you can do, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, knowing that when sin abounds, grace does much more abound, that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Father, I pray as you look at your children, would you bless them? Or would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Father, would you give them your peace? And would you do this? And would you do abundantly more? Hold them and keep them and sustain them. In this I pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I bless you in Jesus' name. God bless you. God bless you. And God bless you. And see you next time.